So Money episode 816, Farnoosh Brock, author of The Serving Mindset. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Did your parents raise you with some fear? Um, just a healthy level of panic. (laughs) Very healthy. I think that's going to be the name of my memoir, A Healthy Level of Panic. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. You're about to listen to my conversation with another Farnoosh. Did you know there's more than one Farnoosh? Maybe you didn't. I certainly didn't grow up with other Farnooshes, so I was so excited to connect with Farnoosh Brock, who is an entrepreneur, author, and overall major talent in her own right. She is the author of the new book, The Serving Mindset, Stop Selling and Grow Your Business. It just hit shelves. Farnoosh lives by the mantra, serving is your competitive advantage. And she believes that if entrepreneurs focus on serving instead of selling, they can learn how to feel good about the whole selling process and even ask for more money from their clients and customers. So if you're somebody who is looking to start a business or even a side hustle and you want to be able to make the big bucks, she has some really honest, authentic advice that's a little different than what we hear typically, you know, keep your eye on the prize, five-year plan, bottom line driven. I really appreciate her approach. And what can I say? I mean, it kind of felt like I had my kindred spirit on the podcast, my name twin at the very least. We shared many laughs, as you just heard, and uh, you're in for some deep, insightful revelations about what it means to lead a fulfilling life as an entrepreneur. Farnoosh left a career, a successful career in engineering to pursue a path in entrepreneurship. It wasn't one that was met with a lot of support at the beginning from family, from friends, but she made it work. And how she made it work is truly, truly inspiring. Here we go. Here's Farnoosh Brock. Farnoosh Brock, welcome to So Money. Uh, um, I'm I, I'm a little beside myself, right? <laughs> I, I think you are too. This is going to be an epic episode. Yes, Farnoosh Torabi. I am so <laughs> pleased to be on your show and thank you for having me. My pleasure. So audience, everyone calls us Farnoosh, which is absolutely correct. But in Farsi, it's pronounced Farnoosh. So naturally, when I meet a fellow Persian who has my name, I have to say it the way our parents would call us. <laughs> uh, but from here on out, I'll, I'll call you Farnoosh because that's kind of the uh, the generally um, the way most people have learned to say it. And that's, um, it's actually what I always introduce myself as to most people. So if that's okay, it just rolls off my tongue easier. It sounds like a plan. (laughs) Okay. Sounds like a plan. So let's give listeners a little bit of context, how we got to you and I connecting. Now, it's rare that there are more people in this universe who are named Farnoosh. So if your name is Farnoosh, <laughs> you'll probably seek out other Farnooshes and come up empty. I came up pretty empty, except along the way in my 20s, I landed on a website called Prolific Living and there was Farnoosh Brock and you had a following. You were, I was really impressed with your branding, with your voice and I and I felt really proud And I was like, thankful, really, that there was another Farnoosh that was doing so well in the world. 
Oh my gosh. And look at you now, such a huge success. And I'm so glad that uh, we found each other. Thanks to Google, right? Thanks to Google. Thanks to, you know, what happened was I was on Jonathan Fields podcast, which everybody should go and subscribe to his podcast, The Good Life Project. I was on his show and he shared it on his Facebook page. And one of his followers thought the interview was with you, Farnoosh Brock, um, but it was with me. And then tagged you and then tagged me. And then I was like, let's just, let's just get this show on the road already. Okay. Like it's years in the making getting to connect with my counterpart here. Have you ever met other Farnooshes? No, but I've been mistaken for you as we shared earlier. (laughs) Yes. And it's always been wonderful. You know, people said, I met you in Chicago when you spoke. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I wasn't in Chicago. So, but it's always been good and a pleasure. No, I have never in my life met another, uh, another person by my name. So um, that's well, it's okay. happened to me too. I was washing my hands at it, like a women's conference and, I, and my name tag was showing and it said Farnoosh. Uh-huh. And this woman came up to me and she was like, I love, I follow you. I'm a big yoga <laughs> enthusiast. And I was like, yoga? And you're, you're a yoga, you're, you're, you're a yoga specialist, right? I'm not a specialist. Not, I practice, you practice yoga. yoga. Right. And it. you're prolific living. It's all about like holistic living and and I was like, I think she's mistaking me, but I didn't correct her. I was like, thank you. <laughs> no. Oh, okay, good, good. I'm glad you did I didn't want to make her feel bad. Um, <laughs> I have met one other Farnoosh, a man. Yes, I not. never like when they do that. What is up with that? So I have no he idea. was a sweetheart. I actually met him at backstage on the Today Show. He had a YouTube video that had gone viral. He is uh, from the UK. Persian, lives in the UK. And uh, I remember actually seeing this video before meeting him in person. It was quite endearing. It was about how his son came home with a D in his physics class. And the father and son embraced over that. He hugged him. He told him how proud he was. And the title of the YouTube video was like, Dad Praises Son for Getting a D in School. And later you learn the story behind it, which is that, you know, his son really struggled he worked really hard. His father knew that he worked really hard. And that D was all short of failing. And at least it wasn't a failure, right? Yeah. So they were celebrating like not being a failure. And A, unusual for I think anybody to experience that growing up, but especially in an Iranian family, in an Iranian household. No kidding. No kidding. Well, we can forgive him for having our name. Right. It's a well, sweet it's a, story. It's a sweet story. But you, you Farnish, have a... Um, you have a science background, right? And a tech background. And it's, it's, a, it's a contrast to where you are now uh, as mm. a coach and your work in um, holistic living and living your best life and all the good things. Your latest book is called The Serving Mindset, Helping Entrepreneurs Really Think Differently Out of the Box, but really uh, more gratifyingly about how to approach the sales the sales mm-hmm. conundrum, right? A lot of us, we're passionate about what we do, but we hate selling and yes. you really simplified it for us. And I want to get into that, but tell us about your transition. I mean, you started way back as an engineer in science, you did very well, and then you, sh- you shifted. So take yes. us back to that pivot. 
Yes. Um, so I studied electrical engineering. I went to graduate school. My dad wanted me to go all the way up to PhD, but I had to say, no, I have to go get a job and, you know, just find my way in the world. And I am really happy. I can only say this after a long time in, in reflection, Farnoosh. I'm really happy I had the education I did and the technical career that followed that for 12 years. Um, in the corporate world, I did move away a little bit from technical and I went into other areas and I explored because I wasn't entirely fulfilled doing just technical work, even though I was good at it. And I think that's a good distinction to make. You may be really good at what you do, but not love it. And so I gave myself some time, a few years to explore and do other things. And even that wasn't enough. And even though I was successful, I wasn't fulfilled. So I started dabbling into writing and blogging and health and taking care of myself. And that hobby eventually led me to explore a different career, a business, and later bringing my husband out of the corporate world and, you know, changing our lives for good. So it was a slow transition, but it was all around the focus of, is there more? Am I allowed to do something else, even though my education was so heavily in this other area? And I just kept exploring and, and I followed my intuition and um, it continued to pay off. So um, I, you know, here I am today doing something completely different. But I promise you, I have transitioned some of those skills that I learned back in engineering school, even today when I sit down with business owners and I coach them through a challenging problem. It sounds like you had to give yourself permission to pursue your passion. Does that sound strange now looking back that you felt like you had to almost feel validated in that move? Why not just... I think yeah. that's I think that's very relatable. I think a lot of us feel that way. It's like, yes. well, what am I supposed to do? I have this degree. I have all this background. Yes. Uh, yes. It's it's a little sad mm -hmm. that I had to have the validation, but but it's natural, I think, because we see our life unfolding in a way, in a certain way when we are really young and still figuring it out and in school and getting a training. And sometimes it does follow along and you end up loving what you do in school and for the rest of your life. But I think sometimes it doesn't. And you you need to just, you know, give yourself a little permission or or at least play. You know, mm -hmm. not even take it so seriously, but play. I was really playing for a long time. But when I saw that it was actually resulting in good things and creating success, I thought, why not? And um, and it just, you know, followed along a, a different path in my life. And I'm so grateful for it. Was it difficult convincing your family about your transition? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I, I, that's a leading question. I'm going to guess yes. Oh, I love my so family. To take pieces. me to those stories. Oh my gosh. I remember sitting in the living room and telling my parents, I want to quit my wonderful, wonderful job at Cisco and the look on their dear faces. And, and then the worst part was when we told them my husband wants to quit. We both actually met in engineering school. So by then I think they thought we we're really crazy, but you know, I, I learned to distinguish between loving someone and making them understand and agree with your choices. My parents have been extremely supportive. They would have probably preferred that I chose a more, what is it? A uh, secure path. Mm -hmm. But here is the irony. Corporate isn't secure. 
anymore. Your, your job isn't guaranteed. I think the security is your ability to make a successful life for yourself, regardless of your circumstances. And so over time, they have been very happy because we have been happier, my husband and I, living this kind of life. But it was um, it was a little challenging. And I wanted their approval so much. And um, I've earned it now, I have to tell you, many years later in business. But at the time, we probably disagreed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure they're so proud now. Your your latest book, The Serving Mindset, you're a multiple book author, run a successful business. The Serving Mindset really puts a smile on my face because I think uh, it really does um, encourage us to think differently and I think more honestly about the sales approach. And you mentioned earlier how your background in science and engineering has showed up for you in your success as a coach and as, you know, someone who ultimately does sell things. Um, so maybe you can share some of those correlations for us and how it applies to the serving mindset. Maybe those of us listening, um, Mm -hmm. do have backgrounds that are more science math oriented and now they want to get into a space where they're having to communicate a lot with people and kind of get outside of their comfort zone. How can they do that while having this serving mindset? Right. No, great question. And in fact, I think my colleagues back in engineering school, the, you know, the, the young minds and the people who would go into the fields of technology, engineering, science, and they have such a genius and they keep developing it and they want to advance our technology and our world, but they tend to focus on that element and not necessarily the bigger picture, which is communicating, building relationships, understanding human dynamics simply because their mind is focused in an area where they are most gifted, right? And I watched uh, my colleagues, you know, struggle, not just in corporate when they were advancing to the higher and higher levels, such as leadership and management, but also when I have had clients who are in those fields. And, And this doesn't go for everyone, of course. It's just more of us who are from those backgrounds. We tend to shy away from what we think selling is, which is a misunderstanding and therefore not reach our fullest potential, which is such a shame Mm -hmm. because these are very gifted people we're talking about. And when they go into business, they have certain assumptions that if they are good, very good, or if their products are really, really good, they will sell themselves or their services will sell themselves. And sometimes they do. But I think that these other skills, which I talk about in the serving mindset, such as building deep trust with people, understanding how to do that, how to have powerful conversations that come from a place of genuine service and how to not be shy to put your offers forth when you know you can help someone. It's, it's, uh, a little challenging, right, these days because so much of our interactions are short and impersonal and text-driven. And I was just at an event last night on a panel talking about um, how to connect with people today, like how to actually have a conversation without scaring somebody away because they're not they're not used to someone coming up to them and actually like asking them, truly, how was your day? <laughs> right. Um, and so how do you break that barrier? Because I think there is a little bit of a – a resistance or just maybe I know like with the younger generation, they're just mm-hmm. not accustomed to really having these 
deeper conversations with one another. Unfortunately, there was a survey that said that most teenagers who, are, who will now be the future generation would much rather text than have a voice-to-voice phone conversation. And so the relationships that you're talking about, the deep yeah. sort of understandings that need to go into place, mm-hmm. how do you do that in a world that can feel a little avert, averse from, uh, to that? Right, right. And you know what? Our habits build us, right? So if you've been habituated to communicate that way, then it's natural that you lean in that direction and you shy away from something that requires you to make eye contact or use your voice or your tone of voice to, uh, to relay a message. And so it's natural, but I encourage people to pick up the phone and at least have your voice be uh, a part of that connection. Because, um, and I love email. I love our technology. I think it has made us live in a much smaller world. You and I connect because of technology today. We've met wonderful people. We can do our business because of technology. But when it comes to building trust and deep trust is what I talk about as the foundation of the serving mindset and a successful business. So when it comes to that, Farnoosh, I really believe we can step out a little bit um, outside our comfort zone because it's going to be worth it and explore that relationship in the context of at least a conversation via phone, if not in person. And how would I encourage people who are not used to that, I would say, I would say, look, if you're happy with how everything is going in your life, then there's no need to change. But I wrote this book and I want people to have these conversations. If something is missing, if they want to have, and they know they're capable of more success, more impact, more influence, but the current methods of communication in this case, isn't getting them there. So then they might be open to exploring that deeper trust through, say, a conversation. Yeah. It sounds to me like you have to really, really be in love with your, with whatever you're delivering to the world, whether that's a service or a product, because these sorts of relationships, this, this kind of buildup that you're talking mm-hmm. about takes time. And a lot of us, unfortunately, I think when we start a business, we're very sales oriented, bottom line oriented. The quicker we can make the sale, the better. I know that's uh, not a good long-term strategy, but people are kind of stuck in that mindset. So how do you get away from having that, as you yeah. talk about in the book, that sales agenda mindset? Right, right. No, I mean, I am all for creating profit to having a sensible approach to business, to being practical. You know, you said about it's about being in love with your products. And I am, you know, I love the things I create because if I didn't, I would have to go back and make sure they're they're up to par. They meet my standards. But I think it's more about believing in what you have to offer and believing without a doubt that this is of value to the people that you reach. So that foundation needs to be in place. And then you can put the, uh, the, um, uh, the ideas of the serving mindset into place. But, you know, the rush to selling, I think uh, context matters here, Farnoosh. For instance, I have a, a, a 10-minute invigorator program that uh, runs for $37. It's a home video program for energizing you. Okay. So that product for $37, and it's all self-explanatory and self-paced, that is something that I would use email marketing to offer to my followers. But if I am selling a $10,000 coaching package and I'm going to develop a deep relationship with someone and with their business in order to then 
be, be able to deliver value at that level and make it an investment for them, that is a different process. And I need to be willing to invest the time and energy in order to have that outcome. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yes. Yes. Yes, it does a lot. And um, I guess my next question is, you know, why did you think this was your next book? I mean, you've written other books and was there, was there an aha moment for you where you either experienced the truth in all of this in your work or you were seeing mistakes happen over and over again in your clients? Yes. Yes to all of that. But you know, it's funny because my recipe books, which have done really well, are actually not the core of my business. What I talk about in this book is actually what I really do. So, you know, I blog about health, fitness, career improvement, but the work I do with my clients is very much business coaching. And so I've been doing this work behind the scenes for years and it's my true passion, helping business owners and entrepreneurs to really change the conversation around selling. So this was sort of a research project for myself because I was the first test case where I hated selling. It wasn't working. And then I had to go through this whole shift in perspective, if you will. And then I, um, you know, teach it to my clients. So this is actually more aligned to what I do in my business. Um, I mean, I'm really proud of the other work I have put out there. And and I, I think health is foundational to all the work that we do. But this is where I feel I can make hopefully some impact in the lives of people who go into business and think they have to compromise their values in order to be successful. That is not true. All right, Farnoosh, we have so much more to get into. And I mean, we've already covered so much, but I do want to talk also about your your upbringing, your your migration, all of it. I mean, you came here from Tehran at... I guess, what age? Oh, 14? Actually, we went to Turkey for three years, Farnoosh, Mm -hmm. to go on a two-week vacation that turned into a three-year stay. You can talk to my dad about that at at length if you like. (laughs) No, those were Mm -hmm. very formative years. And then we immigrated to the U.S. where my, my dad's family already lived. And we started uh, integrating into American life, if you will. And yes, I was 14 and I was entering 10th grade. It was wow. That's a tough year to start fresh. Yes. I started 10th grade at a new high school, having been in the States my whole life. That was hard. But was you hard. coming from another country and to go and, and start in high school, that must have been quite the experience. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that the question I came to hate the most, which now I don't think of it that way is where are you from? It was the, the one thing that, and, 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 you know, I don't blame my f- classmates, but it was the only questions they knew to ask a new person. There weren't that many immigrants back then. We were in South Carolina and, and I, and I was so ashamed unfortunately, mm-hmm. because I had to explain Turkey and Iran and most of them had no idea where we are even on the map. Again, I don't blame them, but I just didn't want to be identified just by where I had come from. And now, of course, you know, I'm more mature, more more proud of saying that. But at the time, I wish there were other ways for them to connect with someone who has come to the U.S. and, you know, is integrating into this new culture and new life. 
Oh, that opens up such a can of worms. I feel like <laughs> that is something that I got a lot too. And I think that even today, people want to know where you're from. I think not because they want to uh, put you in a no in a in a, in a in a bucket, but yeah, they want to they want to feel that actually they can relate. I mean, I've looked at it optimistically now. Like I I, I actually think people want to know because they want to connect. And sure. maybe f- figure out like, oh, I know somebody from Iran or my yes. my brother's married to an Iranian woman or I love Persian food. I went to this restaurant. So that is cool. But yes, I know when you're a child, all you want is to be the same. You want to belong. You exactly. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's something that, you know, we can teach our children today because our, our schools are, were so much more integrated and more cosmopolitan and we have so many more immigrants in the country. But um, it's just from the perspective of the 14 year old me. Mm-hmm. And still, you know, I love living here. Really happy that we we um, we came and it's been a wonderful journey. Yeah. How was the topic of money Mm-hmm. Uh, talked about in your family. Was it something that was pretty fluent and easily talked about? Mm-hmm. Or was it like most American families where I think it's a lot of sort of, you know, it's a bit taboo? You know, it's not whether it was taboo or not. I just, we, we saw, my brother and I saw that my, my parents gave up everything to leave our home country with two suitcases and and start over. And so we were under no false pretenses that money is tight and um, and that having money is an enabler in life. And so all my me and two of my brothers, we are successful entrepreneurs because I think we struggled so much just by watching our parents um, struggle. Um, Money wasn't, you know, a taboo either way. We talked about it. It was relatively tight for a number of years and uh, we came to appreciate it more. I appreciate that my parents had such discipline around money um, with us as well, because it just, it just taught me a lot. And um, we, we talked about it. it. It wasn't a topic that came up a lot. I'm really trying to answer your question. I'm just thinking out loud here. Yeah, no, it's um, all good. Yeah. And, um, and I'm just glad that, um, we, um, you know, we had, um, again, such a, I guess I'm not glad, but I'm, I'm, you know, I can appreciate how everything turned out because our struggles do make for a better character, better lessons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I appreciate everything I have today, even though I have tons of things, but I just love that I have been able to put this life together because I appreciate a dollar, you know? Right. Well, is there a specific memory from childhood that you feel that is playing over in your head that has something to do, is related to a, a financial lesson or emotion that comes up around money? You know, um, I'm sure my dad will listen to this, but that's okay. You know, <laughs> I had scholarships for college. I mm-hmm. went to Clemson University and then I had some loans. And then I think my parents gave me some loans and my dad asked me to pay him back. And at the time, I really didn't like that. And I cannot tell you how glad I am that he made me do that. And, and I think it taught me such powerful lessons, such lessons of gratitude and value and just stability in finances and appreciating what somebody can do for you, but still being able to, you know, um, if you owe something, you pay it. I mean, it's been wonderful. So at the time, again, as a young adult, I couldn't appreciate it, but I am so glad. I think it was very formative for me. 
in um, how I built the rest of my life and, you know, never borrowed money except to buy my house. And, and mm. so it's been, so thank you, daddy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Baba. <laughs> uh, exactly. Our show is sponsored by Chase Slate, uh, Farnoosh, and they want to ask our guests this month, how are you budgeting or saving for the gift giving season? What are your traditions? You know, my husband and I treat each other so well all year long that we really try to forego Christmas. We go for something small, although I made him buy me a Christmas tree yesterday. It really <laughs> was just for a change. Which is for all of you. It's not it's you know, true. You can all exactly. enjoy that. Exactly. You know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm I mean, it, it's not just a holiday season. Uh, we are conscious of what we spend. So when we treat ourselves, we know that it's a it's an occasional thing. And so, I mean, we like to travel, but we're cutting down on travel because we want to stay home now. So that's a little bit of budgeting, if you will. And um, really just being conscious of uh, not buying everything on a whim. Um, I am pretty impulsive. I think my impulses have served me well in life. But, you know, with shopping, I have to be a little careful. So we just, you know, give each other gentle reminders without um, hurting each other's feelings. Like if we want something, we really try to ask the tough questions. Do you really want that? Are you sure you're going to use it? You don't have something else that could do. And so we try to watch out for each other. But for our families, we do like to indulge around the Christmas holidays. And and I think that's that's joyful. So we go for it. I love that. Yeah, my husband and I were trying to figure out birth Christmas presents this year and right. and um he, my husband was like I'm I would like a a new laptop and I was like, "Yeah, that's fine, you know, like that's a utility right. item. That's but he's like I'm going to pay for it." I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "What does it matter?" <laughs> he's like, "I just let me just use my own credit card because I feel like, you know, right. I want to buy it and even though it's a, it's a gift to myself, but it's from you, let's just call it a day." I was like, "All right, but I still want something." <laughs> <laughs> I want to be surprised. Um, I guess every year is different. It sort of depends on right. how the year went, right? Yes. What is the theme? What mm-hmm. do you want? You know, as long as you're in such a great relationship, you can you can create new rules. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the beauty. It's, it's ever transforming. Exactly. What would you say was your biggest financial mistake? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, um, I can't, let me see, let me think a mistake. Okay. I double ordered, uh, during the heyday of stock market, I accidentally double ordered, uh, on a stock that, uh, went South. Ooh. I've never forgiven myself. I think I lost 3000 or $5,000. And every time, and my husband was there and every time he brings it up, I still cringe. Oh. Uh, But it's, you know, it was just a double phone call or something. It went through twice and then it just went south completely. But that was mostly the dollar amount. I think maybe another lesson is I almost came close. I, I wasn't managing my finances right out of college very well. And I almost came close to missing a credit card payment and, um, almost borrowing money from someone. And I stopped myself and I had to figure it out. But I think that was for me. And again, it's relative. But for me, that was a really low point. That would have been the utter embarrassment if I had to do that, even though that's not necessarily true for everyone. For me, that would have not been a good thing. And so I paid more attention and I was able to get back on track, if you will. Well, I think it's true. You know, the closer you get to 
being fearful of something happening, I think that's that can be a source for good, right? That can be yes. something that you can really use to, like, use it. You stopped yourself. You kind of checked yourself, and you started to make better decisions and Absolutely. averted the crisis situation. That happened to me too, where I was actually in a lot of credit card debt. I I, I went beyond <laughs> where oh, you no. were. I just like blew it, and I graduated, and I had all this credit card debt, and I was you know climbing my way out of that. But still using the credit cards. And so there was a sort of cycle of debt thing happening. And my mom, Mm -hmm. I remember my mom one day called me and she was telling me a story about how our cousin, who was older than like five years ahead of me, her nephew had amassed like $40,000 in credit card debt. Oh, dear. And she found out, my mom found out because her sister told her, his mom, and like his his mom was going to bail him out. And she said to me, if you, you better not ever get to that point because we are not bailing you out. And I, thanks mom. Yeah, and I was like, I, and I, of course she didn't know that I had like, you know, $6,000 in credit card debt. So I just said, oh yeah, absolutely. No, <laughs> but that could have been mom. me. Let me tell you, that could have been me, but my mother put the fear of God in me. Did your parents raise you with some fear? Um, just a healthy level of panic. <laughs> Very All right. But you know what? You're a good a daughter. It's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know not to cross the boundaries. And, uh, you know, our, the parenting in Iranian culture is a slightly different than all other cultures, I would say. And um, it creates such fascinating individuals as you and I. So I think it's okay. I think that's going to be the name of my memoir, A Healthy Level of Panic. There you go. You may have it. I don't want any credit. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to dedicate it to you. Oh, I'm not kidding. That sounds exactly like if I had to have a like a like if I had a book that was based on my life, it would be called A Healthy Level of Panic. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, and it works. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my god, too funny. <laughs> All right. Now, let's talk about your habits. I know so much of prolific living, which is your site and living your best life and both as an entrepreneur and as a person. I know the forward in your book is, is beautifully written, um, by, uh, Michael, I'm going to Bungay Stanier. Stanier. And the last part of his, um, in the last sentence of his foreword, he is beautiful. He says, the lessons in her in your book go beyond just what it means to flourish as an entrepreneur who sells. They go to the heart of what it means to live a generous, thriving life, which yes. I mean, that's the ultimate. So back to my question, what are some habits that you practice that you really encourage people to practice to live not just a flourishing life as an entrepreneur, but also as a liver as someone who's living a generous, thriving life? Yeah. I mean, I, I love that question because I, the older we grow, the more we appreciate our health, our well-being, our sense of, you know, understanding things and living life in a richer level. So for me, I mean, I think it's fundamental to take care of your health. And there's so much within your reach without the help of a doctor or therapist. You know, there's so much you can do. So my habits to answer your question, you know, I have the yoga habit. I think that is central. Um, I, I practice yoga every day. The breathing techniques that I learn, whether I'm doing yoga on the mat or say before this podcast, I was doing breathing exercises to calm myself. Um, I have um, the habit of of uh, just um, staying active, 
during the day, there's certain level of activity. I try to get hydration. I measure how much water I drink. Um, I, I, I've been giving myself permission the holiday season to eat what I want, but within reason. So, you know, not indulging overindulging, I should say, is a habit I have built. And again, I give myself permission to enjoy, say, a couple of pieces of baklava here and there, but I still um, recognize my body's habits, like overindulgence if I'm emotional. I, I watch for that. I observe that. I'm aware of that. And I think just becoming more aware of yourself mm-hmm. helps you create the habits that you need. I read a lot, whether I'm listening to audiobooks or reading books. And I think that is essential just because, you know, when we leave our education, the reading shouldn't stop. I mean, I think you should read a book a week if you can somehow fit it into your life. And so, and I think that reading has really opened up new worlds for me, new ideas, new opportunities. And I think that applies to anybody in any profession. I'm going to make that claim, but anybody who wants to argue with me, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the other habit is spending quality time with my husband. In fact, I wanted to spend time with him so much, I hired him out of his job. So... (laughs) So we get to work together. But seriously, deepening the relationships that are central to our life. I, I really try to spend time with my family now, with my parents, mm-hmm. with my siblings. So I think those are the habits that have uh, that make me happy on the inside. Really, really fulfilled and happy. Remember, I said earlier I wasn't fulfilled. It's the, the habits that I'm building now that I think are really helping that fulfillment on a daily basis. What do you like to do for fun? That didn't sound fun to you? No, that is fun. <laughs> That sounded like work. I had to drink a lot of water. You just oh, reminded too me. Funny, too funny. I don't drink enough water. It's harder in the winter. I'll give you credit there. Um, for fun. Like when I you let re- your hair down. I mean, I. Uh, yes, yes. Um, let me think. I mean, we love traveling. My husband and I love traveling, although we've slowed down a little bit. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, everything I told you is fun. I, you know, I, I enjoy having this conversation with you on the podcast. I can't really separate it between work and fun, but you know, going out with friends, spending time, you know, playing games, um, doing puzzles, um, uh, reading again. Um, I know it makes it sound kind of boring, right? No, but, no, no. I don't, um, I'm <laughs> sorry if it came across that way. I think it's just, I think I was just thinking like, you know, do you go to the movies? Do you like, you yes, know, what I, recreational things that you do? Yes, yes, I love movies. We go to the Toronto International Film Festival oh. religiously every September. And that is a f- wonderful. Where are you city. now? Are you in California or? No, I'm in North Carolina. North Carolina still. All oh, right. Uh, For some reason, I just thought you were a West Coast and I was the East Coast, you know, because that's just how. That should be that way. The Farnooshes are by coastal. West Coast. <laughs> right. If you're listening and you know a Farnoosh, let us know. I feel like we should start a Facebook group or something. You think so? Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of exchanging of stories and uh, life tips. Farnoosh Brock, thank you so much for coming on So Money. Finally, a chance to meet with the one and only. The book is called The Serving Mindset, Stop Selling and Grow Your Business. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you for all of your work. And we really appreciate you. Please come back. Thank you. Thank you, Farnoosh. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you. 
Thanks so much to Farnoosh for stopping by. It's still weird to say that. <laughs> Her website is farnooshbrock.com. You can also visit prolificliving.com. The book again is called The Serving Mindset, Stop Selling and Grow Your Business. Farnoosh is on Twitter at Prolific Living. All this info is back at somoneypodcast.com. Check it out. You get the transcript, the audio, and also there you can click on Ask Farnoosh and leave me your questions for our Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. Money.